So, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and jump into our, our, our second week of our Scent series. This, this series really is, is revolving around the book of Acts. We're going to kind of go through the book of Acts together. We may not necessarily go uh, in, in order of the book. We may jump around a little bit. For example, what we're going to be talking about today a little bit, we're going to talk about, you know, kind of jump back a little bit next week. But kind of we're going to kind of follow the book of Acts and kind of go through the pattern of it. And last week we kind of started our series. We talked about the church being the ecclesia, which is basically this concept that the church is not a place, it's not a product, but it's a people. Uh, and, and it kind of in that idea or that thought, I don't know if you remember this, and I've been thinking about it like all week, trying to remember exactly how this went. But I am getting older and things that took place when I was a child are becoming less and less easy to remember. I don't know if you're feeling that as well, but I think you'll maybe remember this and I may do it wrong because it does have motions involved in it. So you're going to have to help me because maybe, you know, maybe some of you that have maybe small children will know this better than I am. But here's what I'd like you to do if you will do this with me. And I know it's going to be hard and you have to be brave, but trust me, I'm the one on camera. No one else can see you. Okay. So if I'm going to do this and get this out in front of the world where they can make fun of me in 20 years, you can do this where no one will ever remember except your spouse or people in this church who love you and will accept you even if you're weird. Okay, here we go. So I want you to do is I want to take your fingers. I want you to put them like this. I'm waiting for everyone. Yeah, we, oh man, yes. Crowd participation. Okay. See if you remember this. Okay. Let's see how does this, this work. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Is that right? Did I do that kind of right? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's what I want to explain to you. You have just, in God's house, committed heresy. Okay? Isn't that easy how quickly that can happen? Because this is not really the truth. Okay? This is not really what God's word has said. This is not what we talked about last week. This is not the ecclesia as we would understand it. We're going to change this so that for all eternity, you know, and all the children that we deal with, we will teach them the right way. So here's what this is. Okay, now do this again. It has, it's like this, Tammy. Tammy did it weird. Okay, okay. Maybe it's like that. Okay, here we go. Okay. This is a building. Okay. This is a pointy thing with a cross on top. Open the doors and see the church. See the difference? You see, for a lot of time, and we talked about this last week, we've used the wrong understanding of what the church is. We've used that, that German word, that Kirka, that basically understands or describes that concept of a church being a sacred place or a building. Where the ecclesia was not that, it was a people and a movement of people that were, that were centered around a conviction. And that conviction is that Jesus Christ came and he lived a sinless life and he died for our sins. But on the third day, God rose him from the dead. And the book of Acts and this concept of scent and, and movement really is, is that concept of Acts where where basically these individuals were the church, but they didn't just hide in their buildings and they just didn't wait for Jesus to come back and kind of just say, here we are and, and keep the darkness over there and we'll just be the light over here. They left that area and they were moving out into their world and making a difference. It's the mission that God has called all of us to when Jesus said, you are to go. They took that literally. 
They took that in an understanding that it meant we're not to hunker down and wait for the end. We're to go out and make a difference in the world. And that's what God asked us to do. So last week, we kind of talked about that, how to be that ecclesia. And we talked about this idea of, of looking at, has, has God really captured your heart and your mind? Have you, have you come to grips with the message in the gospel of Jesus to where it, it, it forces you to move? It forces you to, be, to go out and make a difference in your world and how to do that. And we also talked about this, this question of, of, are you yielded to the Holy Spirit? Are you yielded to him? When he's called you to go out, are you listening to what he's asking you to do? And so this morning, as we kind of go into week two and, and, and a portion of scripture that many of us know fairly well, I want to ask a couple of other questions. Because if we look back when Jesus, as we talked about this kind of last week, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend up in heaven, and this isn't in, in the notes, by the way, but, but it's important that we catch this. He, he said before he leaves in verse number 7 of Acts 1, he said, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. And then verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this morning, as we kind of go along in this story arc, as we kind of follow this journey that the disciples are on, we're going to continue on, and we're going to look at basically some things that took place in Acts 2. Now, like I said last week, there's, there's some important things that take place in Acts 2. We're not going to hit... Um, basically Peter's initial sermon or message that he gives on Acts 2. We're actually going to do that next week. Next week, we're going to look at basically Peter's sermon. We're going to break it down. In some ways, I'm going to um, kind of share what Peter spoke on and, and kind of uh, follow his outline to an extent. But today, we want to look at the Holy Spirit. We want to look at what this kind of looks like and how this kind of affects this movement of this ecclesia that we need. So, so I want to ask, like I said, two questions this morning, but before I do, I want to pray. Father, we do love you. We do thank you for this time. Father, I pray that as we share these things, as you speak through me to share these things, that God, that you will, that you will just have my words kind of stop and that yours will begin. That Father, I pray for clarity. God, sometimes we, we, we have talked about the Holy Spirit in the past. And Father, it's, it's unfortunate that there's so many times and so many situations where people have, they, they do not really understand what the scripture is telling us about the Holy Spirit. And so Father, I believe that you desire for every single one of us to have the Holy Spirit living and moving and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit being, being exercised in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would just bring clarity, that, Father, you would just help us to see this third member of the Trinity for who he is and what he desires to do in us and through us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to look at two questions today to kind of look at Acts 2. And the first question is, is, is really, what was the coming of the Holy Spirit like? What was this, what took place here? And a lot of times we talk about this and we, we know about the upper room and we know about all these things. And we're going to cover a few of those things, but we're going to kind of look a little bit deeper. What was God doing here? What, what did God want the believers at that time to understand and need and see? And what does he want us to understand and see as well? So if you have your Bibles, open them up or your phones, wherever you use, uh, wherever you have the scriptures to Acts 2. They'll also be up on the screen, of course. We're going to be at Acts 2. We're going to start with 
with verses 1 through 4. We're going to read through these things, and then we're going to kind of go back and look at them a little bit more in depth. So here we go. Acts 2, starting with verse number 1. It says, On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place. As we've talked about before, this idea of Pentecost is simply 50 days. Pentecost means 50, and basically this was 50 days after Passover. The reason I want you to see that is because I want you to kind of get the timeline, okay, of where we're at. So this is 50 days after Passover. All the believers are meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And so to kind of start us out here, it's just understanding that question and to answer what was the coming of the Holy Spirit like? There were basically on this day, there were three signs that happened on this, what we call now the day of Pentecost. There were three signs that we see. Now, God doesn't necessarily use these signs today in the way that, that he did it in this particular instance, but there are some important things that we can see when this initial first baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first First, is we see is this idea of the sign of wind, the sign of wind. And as you see, there's going to be the scripture reference, but we just read through it. So you see that. But there was this, this, this came like a mighty windstorm. Now, remember that word that's important here is like. Okay. So in this, there became a mighty windstorm as the Holy Spirit. That was the first sign that basically came when the Holy Spirit came. When the coming of the Holy Spirit came, there was this wind. Now, I don't know where you grew up. I don't know what you're used to when it comes to wind, but I had some I have some very interesting winds you know, experiences in my life. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas City. Uh, every Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month of my childhood at about 10 o'clock or so, I can't remember exactly the time, I just knew I was in school, the sirens would go off. It didn't, it, those were tornado sirens. Every time they would test them and they would, they would make that loud noise and, and just start going. So for me, wind has never been a big deal because I've experienced like major wind before. Like, here's how this works for me, okay? Like, I'm not a big fan of wind. This church, for whatever reason, and Alan's told me before, and I always kind of forget why, it's just the topography or something, but for whatever reason, like, it can be completely still at, like, the Napa, right down this little road right here, but here, it's like, uh, you know, the wind is literally picking the church up and rotating it, setting it back down. It is so windy. It doesn't bother me, because, like I said, I grew up where there were tornadoes. Now, here's the deal. If I walk outside and I look up and the sky gets this like shade of green, okay, and everything that was really, really blowing and really, really violent all of a sudden gets really, really still, at that moment, I go to the basement, okay? Before that, I'm fine, okay? So I understand that. And then plus, I spent some time in the Chicago area and, and they call that the Windy City, not because it's a catchy name. Like that wind coming off of, I believe, Lake Michigan. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you can literally be walking and it's like you're struggling to move because the wind is so powerful. 
I believe that's what this idea of the Holy Spirit in that first sign was. There was a power here. It was not necessarily where their hair was going all over the place, but there was just this sense of power that was present when the Holy Spirit came. And so it came in like this type of windstorm. Now, here's the deal. Maybe we're going to find out one day, yeah, their hair was going crazy. The wind was blowing through. But it's interesting here that we see this sign of power expressing itself through this idea of a windstorm, which is so interesting. We see that at times in the Old Testament where, where God will, will use different types of, of kind of physical phenomenon that we understand to show his power and his presence. But not only that, not only do we see this idea of wind or the sign of wind, we also next see the sign of fire. We see a sign of fire because in this idea, we see it continuing on, is it looks like these flames or tongues of fire appear on each of their heads. Now, here's the deal. We're going to look a little bit more in depth in, in the fire concept because, and this is in your notes, many times in scripture, fire represents the presence of God, okay? A lot of times in scripture, the fire represents the presence of God. If you look back into the Old Testament, in Exodus 3, we see the story of the burning bush. We see the concept of, of Moses having an experience with God, an encounter with God. And what's he see? He sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And so he approaches it, and God speaks out of that burning bush. And what's he say? He says, you need to take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground. What made the ground holy was not the fact that a miracle was taking place. It was God's presence was there. And so fire, a lot of times, has represented that concept of that. In Exodus 13, after we've experienced the exodus from Egypt, how does God lead his people by day? A fire, a cloud, or a pillar of fire, basically by night, follows, helps them to know where to go. It is a visible sign of God's presence. Even in Genesis 19, or excuse me, Genesis 15, we see God as he is basically giving Abraham the covenant at the very beginning. And if you look at this story, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. God appears to him as basically like a flaming torch that goes around. But it all represents this idea of God's presence. God desires this. Now, what's interesting about this is in a lot of stories that you see, not only does fire represent kind of this presence of God, but it also kind of represents this, this separation from God. God uses fire at times in, in some of these stories as kind of a way to, to, to bring forth judgment. And basically Moses can only approach so close to this, to this bush and, and all these types of things. It's almost like a separator in some ways. So it's yes, God's presence is there. Yes, we can see it. Yes, we can even in some ways feel it to an extent because we can kind of feel that, that, that flame or that, that closeness. But at the same time, there's still separation. There's still a, a distance between God's presence and us. And what I love in this story is where does the fire reside? The fire doesn't reside apart from them. It literally resides on them. Tongues of fire basically come and sit on them. Isn't that a beautiful picture now? Because here's the thing. We see this picture with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection when the temple curtain is torn. 
We see that, that God now can be among his people because of what Jesus has done. But now God takes it one step further and says, listen, not only am I going to be here, not only can you abide, but I will abide in you, on you. Your, my presence will be a part of who you are. And that is so beautiful. And I love that our God doesn't, isn't, listen, if you ever have that lie that the enemy gives you that says God is far away, you need to come and you need to read this portion of scripture. No, 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 no. God's Holy Spirit is dwelling in me. Go back, go back to elementary school or, or kindergarten or, or, or Sunday school is really what I meant to say. What do we say? What do we learn? Why do we teach children? We ask Jesus into our hearts. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you. And we see that with this concept of this fire that is now basically sitting and hovering over them. There's a, there's a, 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 a pastor, his name's Tim uh, Keller. He made the comment once, he said, we need to understand as Christians today that we are, he said something basically, this isn't quote for quote, but, or word for word, but he basically said, you need to understand something. As Christians today, you have now turned into the burning bush. That God's presence now is not in a, a bush that's burning, it's on us. We're the ones that God's presence dwells in. We're the ones that can, that can go into areas and make a difference because of who Jesus is in us. And so here's what's interesting. that God desires that, but, but I think there's something even deeper than that that I think is important that we see. And, and it, it, I want to ask this question. So, so what does this special closeness of God mean? Like, that was great and that was fine, but is there something even deeper that, that God's presence wants to do in us and through us and help us understand? And to find that, I think we need to go back to Matthew. Look at Jesus' life. In Matthew 3, Jesus is gone and he has gone to John the Baptist and he's basically said, I want to be baptized. John the Baptist has said, no, listen, dude, if anybody should be baptized in somebody, you should be baptized in me. And Jesus says, no, this is good. You need to do this. And so Jesus is baptized John baptizes him in, 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 in the river. And, and basically, that's kind of, as he comes out of the river, this is where we kind of pick up the story here in Matthew 3. So in Matthew 3, it says this. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, now look here, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is my beloved son. So what's this story look like? How can we put some, some, some muscle on the bones? Jesus has just been baptized. He, he is coming up out of the water. He's soaked, obviously. He's completely drenched. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And, and God speaks over him. Jesus is getting ready to begin his ministry. He's getting ready to really kind of go forth with some of the things that God's called him to do, knowing that the ultimate outcome is going to be his death. And as that happens, God begins to speak over him. And it's interesting he, he, what he says about him. He doesn't say, man, he's a good person. He, he says, this is my son. Deeply loved, dearly loved. 
Listen to him. Hear him. But, but, but basically, God affirms his son. He helps him to know who he is. There is a confirmation that takes place here. When the Holy Spirit comes, I believe that God wants to bring forth a confirmation of who you are in him. More than just, I'm just a person, or hey, I'm not good enough for that. Basically, he's saying, listen, I am allowing you to understand your identity. I'm allowing you to understand that I desire to be close with you and desire to, to share what I desire to the world to know about me through you. Listen, it's in your notes. The Holy Spirit gives us the ultimate confidence that we have been adopted into the family of God and that we are dearly loved. One of the things I have learned over the last, I don't know, 10 years of ministry is how many people in the church and out of the church have a hard time with the concept of identity. Who we are becomes so hard for some people to understand and get. And we need to understand that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit has come, one of the reasons why this fire and this presence has come is God desires in us to understand that we have been adopted into God's family, that we are dearly loved by Him. Even when we mess up, even when we don't do things correctly, there is still a, a welcoming into God's family. Look what it says in Romans 8.16. In Romans 8.16 it says this, For the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That we're God's children. The Spirit affirms that. So here's the thing. If you are starting, and I'll just be honest, if, if you are dealing sometimes with, with ideas of of am I really saved? Or, or do, does God really love me? Or, or, or am I really a child of God? You know? Run to him. Let him pour his Holy Spirit out on you all again. And allow that just to be a, a confirming in you. That God's saying, no, 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 you're mine. I've got you. Because a lot of times what we do in this idea or this concept is we base it on performance. Let me give you, you know, it's like, you go, well, do we, Aaron? Yeah, we, we do. Here's how that usually works. We basically do something like this. If I have been good or if things are going well then God loves me, I'm accepted, and I'm his son or daughter. But when things go poorly, or when things aren't going well, what do we tend to do? We tend to go, I must not be loved, I must not be cared for, I must have done something wrong, God must be angry with me. Even in that concept, we're basing God's love and acceptance on our performance or our circumstances where God says, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit has come in a lot of ways to do lots of things, but also to help us understand that we have been adopted into God's family. There's that fire and that closeness. The third one, the third one is the sign of tongues. The sign of tongues. Now, let's, let's break this down a little bit because let's be honest, this is a lot of times where, we, and we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to belabor it a lot, but we do need to talk about this because in this concept, we need to look at a couple of things. We need to point out a couple of things about what has taken place here, okay? In this situation, number one, number one, they were speaking in other languages, okay? That's what the scripture has told us. Now, we're going to break this down very quickly, but if, and if you have more questions, please come talk to me about it. We don't have time to get into it today because this is not the, the main thrust of the message. 
But if you have questions, which there usually are, come talk to me about these things, okay? But what we do understand here is when we break down the original Greek, we do see something interesting. We not only see this idea of other languages, but we also see this concept of spirit enablement to do that. Now, we are going to talk about that in just a second, but these basically, the Greek word here is, is basically for spiritual utterances, okay? So in that concept, we do see that they're speaking other languages in the concept of, as we're going to see later on, basically languages that people could understand in their own tongue. But when we break down the word, we also see as well as that is there were also languages that people did not understand. Now, we believe that when we look at the scriptures, we see both in this particular time, which then also correlates to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Okay, So we're seeing languages that are being spoken, some that are understood by people and some that are possibly not. Okay, But there are this, this word or this expression of tongues. So that's the first thing. There were other languages being spoke. And this is the second one, and this is just as important. The Spirit gave them this ability. This was not something they were taught. This was not something that magic that basically happened because they had learned things or forgotten them. And this was something that God has done inside of them. So we have the idea of fire and wind, and then we have the idea of tongues that are spoken out in that. But let's let's to really understand this, let's 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 kind of continue on with the story a little bit. So after this takes place and they've experienced this, this empowering and infilling of the Holy Spirit, they begin to go out and they begin to proclaim basically uh, what, what is, is going on, what is happening. Because here's the thing, here's my question that I want to have. is like, if they're out there speaking, what are they saying? What is actually being said and what's being communicated? And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But as they leave, they begin to share these things and people begin to say, wait a minute, I, I, I recognize my, this language. People have been in Jerusalem for the feast season. And so many people are out there uh, experiencing uh, what is taking place. And they're kind of sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is something different. This is something I'm not, not really used to. This is something that is, is an amazing situation. So now let's look at Acts 4, 11. Kind of give us a better idea. And so they're there and the disciples have come out and said, and this is what they said. And we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So what is being said here? Wonder, God's being praised. God's being shared. This is basically the gospel being shared for the very first time. And isn't it interesting and this is in your notes, that the first time the gospel is shared on the day of Pentecost, it was proclaimed to all people in their own language. I love that. I love that our God is not us for and no more. You get what I mean? Like he, in this moment, when, when, he, when the Holy Spirit comes, it, it's reaching people that, that maybe, ne maybe on the outside, maybe that never thought that they could be a part. You know, I speak a different language. I'm, a, I'm from a different place. I'm, I'm all these things. And no, in that moment, God begins to speak out the wonders of God, what Jesus has done for them, all these things. And they're meeting God right where they are. 
A lot of times I meet people and they say, I say, man, you should come to church or you need to hear about Jesus and all these things. And you know what they say? In so many words, they say this, I don't speak the Christian language, therefore I can't be at a church. When I, or they'll say, when I learn the Christian language, then I can come to a church. Now they don't say it like that. They say things like when I get my life put back in order or when I do what I need to do or when I become a better person, then I'll do this. Listen, listen, God didn't come with his Holy Spirit and then expect people to learn his language before they were accepted. God spoke their language to them. Their language. I love that our God opens the doors and says, all that, can, all that are thirsty, all that are hungry, come. You don't, you don't have to get your life figured out. I, listen, I'll speak your language to get you to come home. And so in that day, languages are being shared. Languages that, that what I believe is, is languages that people understood and, and, and heavenly languages that people didn't understand. Or languages that were being spoken by, by, by people who, who, who were not there. We, I, as I was studying this and looking at this, we believe there has been about, about 15 people groups that were there for that time. About 15 different languages. Hey man, there was 120 people in the upper room. Okay? So I think God can, can do a lot of these things and, and begin to move. But we do see that idea that language was being shared so that people could hear about what Jesus has done for them. So, so that's, that's kind of what the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost really looks like. So let's look at the second question. How did the re- believers respond to the coming of the Holy Spirit? Now listen, question number one is a good question to ask. But question number two is a more, in my opinion, a more important one to ask. Because we need to learn how did they respond to this? When this took place, what did they do? So we're going to look at Acts 2.42, and I think it's an important portion of Scripture to look at. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, again, we are going to come back next week and hit basically Peter's message and all these things, but, but for this week, we're going to look at, at this area here. What did they do as far as what did they, how do they respond? And I think to really understand the depth of their response, we need to do a little definition. We need to understand one of these words. And it's the word right up there. It's the word devoted. Devoted. What does that word really mean? It means this. Zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, or affection. So these things that we're going to talk about that they did, these things that they began to do because of their response to the gift of the Holy Spirit, these were not little things. These were things they were zealous about. These were things that they were excited about. These were things that they were, man, this was, became, in a lot of ways, their life and what mattered most. But also, as I was kind of looking at the definition, there was also on the same webpage, there was some synonyms for for devoted. And I thought these were good too. So these are in your notes. They're, They're faithful consistent, loyal, and devout. So when we look at these things, when we see what they were doing, we need to, under, we need to understand the level in which they understood them and make sure that we are doing the same, okay? So there's four things we're going to talk about very quickly here. Number one, they devoted themselves to Scripture. Okay, I, I know it's like beating a dead horse, but it's just so true. 
we've got to be devoted to God's word. We've got to be devoted to what God has said in his word because there are so many things and so many people that are saying the opposite. Or even worse, they're saying things that seem so good and so right, but they are contradicting to what God's word says. And if we don't know what God's word says, how can we stand up for truth? How can we stand up and say, no, no, I understand those are good intentions, but this is what God's word says. How can we do that if we don't know what the authority really is? Listen, I'll say this very clearly. I don't know how you will survive in our world today without a grasp of the scriptures, without being devoted to God's word. You say, Aaron, I'm just new at this. I'm just starting. Hey, it's a great place to start, but let's get a hold of it. And hear, and hear me in this. Like, like listen, we, we send out our emails. If you're not on our email list, get our emails. Listen, you need to understand something about what I put in those emails. That is, that is step one. Okay? Is it better than no steps? Yes, 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 yes. But God wants you to grow in that. God wants you to, I, 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 listen, here's how this works for me. You know, and I always say, you know, good morning, or you're probably getting this in the morning because I know they come early in the morning. I don't know when you're reading them. But I want that to be just basically like a light brunch or a little bit of breakfast before you really get into God's word for that day. And if you want to use the scripture that we've used and, 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 or, or, or look at some, sometimes I'll put extra scripture in there then you can kind of see other things, go to there. But, 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 but it needs to be, a greater hunger and devotion to God's word. And when the Holy Spirit came, when they came, they responded to that. Number two, they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to each other. Okay? We're not in this alone. We shouldn't be here uh, trying to do this alone. We were never created to do it alone. And I love that when the Holy Spirit came, there was a brand new devotion to each other. Now you say, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Yes, but let's remember who we're talking about here. These were guys that followed Jesus that argued a lot, that had problems with each other, that had, had issues. You know, I mean, here's John and James. Can we sit at your right hand? And Peter's like, hey, whoa, 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 what do you mean? I, I'm Peter. I'm doing this or that. I mean, they they had issues and struggles, but they still were devoted to each other. Listen, the Holy Spirit coming didn't make them not have issues with each other. We have it recorded in scripture where they still had some problems and some issues with each other. But listen, when you are devoted to somebody, you overlook the differences and you begin to say, I will love you in spite of them. That's being devoted. That's being devoted. And they were devoted to each other. Number three, they, were de- they devoted themselves to God's presence. They said, you know what? I want to be where you are, Father. Now here's what's great about that. They weren't devoted to a place or a product. They were devoted to a presence. And because of what God had done through Jesus, they could experience that presence at any moment, at any time, because God was always with them. The issue becomes for them and us, do we realize it? Do we live in the presence of God in a knowledge of it? Do we understand that, that, that God has never left us, that God is with us? And so do we live our lives in that way? Not just the head knowledge of God's presence, but a deep, deep abiding 
presence, knowing that God is never going to leave us, that he's always with us, no matter our performance, no matter our situations. Number four, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Listen, I, I know when you talk about Bible and prayer, these are the ABCs of faith, but listen, they are so important. How is your prayer life? Like, like how, how, how does that work for you? Because listen, wherever it's at, God wants to take you to a new level. You say, well, you're not, I, I kind of I don't pray very often. Okay, well, God wants to take you someplace new. God wants to take you, well, Aaron, I pray three hours a day. Good, God wants you to pray, God, God, God's going to take you to a new level of praying four. You know what I mean? We'll never reach a place where our prayer life has arrived. We can always get closer with him, and we do that in, in his word, but also in prayer. Just, just being with him. I love those stories because they're so telling and they're so vital where Jesus basically, I mean, remember, he's got like three years. Okay, Jesus is on the clock, if this makes sense. And, and, and people are hurting and disease-ridden, and he's trying to show them who he is. And what does he do sometimes? He just leaves to go pray. And I've heard this said so many times, and it seems so trivial, but it is just, it's just basic truth. If Jesus needed that, how much more do I need that? Well, I just need to get away and say, you know what, God, I just need to be with you. I just need to pray to you. I just need to speak with you. And here's what's great about prayer. Remember, prayer is communication. It's also allowing God to speak to you. So they devoted themselves of these things. Scripture, each other, God's presence, and prayer. And, and, and we've talked about this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, or obviously a couple of months ago now. Because, you know, and we talked about this. I like results. I do. I like results, you know. It's like I like to, 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 to be training for something. And then, like, you, you know, it's like one day it's really, really hard. And then you train again, and it gets a little easier. It gets a little easier. And then finally, you know what I mean? It's like you do it, and you're like, nah, I did it. I didn't, it, it didn't you know, it, I, I did it this time because you've been training. I like those results. But I think Scripture here tells us the results of their devotion. Look at the results of their devotion. These are found in Acts 43 through 47. We're going to read it, then we'll come back and look at it more closely. So this is what it says. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. In verse 45, is it there? There we go. And shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's look at this. Let's break it down. Let's look at the results when we as a people, when we as individuals, when we as churches, as we as families come together and we devote ourselves to Scripture, each other, God's presence and prayer, I think we see these things come forth. I think God births these things then and now. Number one, there was a deep sense of awe that came over them. That word awe is also this idea of holy faith. Fear and not fear like I'm running away afraid of God, but reverence of God. 
This idea of, man, God is so big and God is so mighty and God is so strong. Listen, hear me here. I believe the church today needs a new sense of the awe of God. Like we, we, we get Jesus is our friend and, and, and he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and all those things. And that is so true. But I think we need to also have this, like, God, you are, you got this. Like there's so many things in our lives today where it just seems like the world is spinning out of control. We need a God that can handle it. And guess what? Our God can handle it. He is strong and mighty and powerful and good. And we can sit in awe, this reverence of that. And when the Spirit came and they began to do these things, listen, listen they, they had just a new sense of this. Like, man, man, my God is big. Man, my God is strong. When we were kids, what did we sing? Remember the song? My God is so big. So strong and so mighty. There's nothing that my God cannot do. What are we teaching our children? We're teaching them that our God is awesome. Our God is awesome. He's awesome. And we can look at him and know that he's got our lives in his hands. Why? Because our God is so big. He's so strong and so mighty. And so this awe came over them. Number two. Miracles took place. Miracles took place. Big ones, I know, and small ones. Things began to happen through those individuals. Listen, I want those things to take place in our family as well. I want God's miracles to once again come up and come forth. But miracles begin to take place. Number three. There was a constant natural generosity that took place. There was a constant natural... I could have just said there was generosity. But I think there's something greater here. Because here's, here's the thing. Like I've met people that, 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 that are so generous that know God. But I've also met people that are, fairly, that are pretty generous that don't know God. But I think the difference here is it's a, there was a constant naturalness of it. It was just like, well, of course I'm going to give to God. He's given me so much. You, you ever met a kid and you talk about things and it's just like, you know, you think it's so complicated in our, you know, adult mind and you talk to them and they're like, well, yeah, of course. You ever, you ever done that? Please do that. Find a child, talk to them. And learn those things. You know one thing I've learned about my son? Giving's like that for him. It's just like, well, of course I'm going to give. Why wouldn't I give? Look how much God's given me. Look, I mean, he just looks around and goes, goes well, yeah, of course. Why? Because it, it's just a natural thing. We complicate it as adults. We try to kind of, okay, God, well, if I give this, will you give this? And, and if I do this, will you do this? And we even sometimes will twist scripture around just to basically like, okay, God, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this much. And so if I give this much, well, are you going to give me this much? Or That's not what's taking place here. There's just a natural, it's just like, it's, it's literally like they're going, well, of course we're going to do this. Why wouldn't we do this? They've understood what God has done for them. I've found this very interesting, and I've 
in my life, in so many areas, the people that are the most generous are typically the people who have the greatest understanding of what God has already done for them. Almost without fail. It's people that have realized what God had done. These individuals understood what Jesus had already done for them. And so generosity just naturally flowed from their hearts. So number one, there was an awe. Number two, miracles. Number three, natural generosity. And number four, there were salvations daily. Did you catch that? There were salvations daily. We want, and obviously we should want, people to come and discover Jesus. I mean, on the board out there, our mission as this church is to help people discover and grow in Jesus. We should want that. How do we help that mission take place? What can we do? Obviously, we talked about it last week as being a witness and what that means. But all these things, if we want to see God begin to bring forth the harvest that he called us to bring forth, we better be devoted to those four things. If we're not devoted to the four things, we're probably not going to see the harvest that God wants to bring in. And that's not just, that's not just other people's job. It's our job. We're all a part of this. But there were salvations daily. I love that. I love that. Basically, if you really want to look at it this way, and I think it came in another translation I was looking at, so this isn't just from my mind, but I think one of the translations I read said something like this. People generally liked what they saw and people were saved daily. What were people seeing that they liked so much? What, what were people really seeing? I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they saw some of the generosity and all these things and the miracles and, and all these things, but where did those things really even come from? They came from people being devoted to Scripture and each other and God's presence and prayer. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you share with one another. We should desire and hunger to be used by God like this, like God desires to use them, to to use us as he used them. Next week, we're going to look at also Peter's message and sermon and 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 but but these things here that we're talking about today these are on top of the 3000 that were saved at Pentecost okay so it wasn't just this great message that God used he used that there's a place for what we're doing right now but do you realize that there was 3000 saved one day but because of the way everyone lived their lives and what they were devoted to, that it continued every day after. You realize that God doesn't want people just to come to him on Sundays, right? Like he wants them to come on Mondays 
and he wants him to come on Tuesdays, and he wants him to come at work on Thursday. He wants him to come on every single day. And he uses us to do that. He uses us when we respond to the Holy Spirit in this way. Things begin to change in us. The Holy Spirit comes and brings forth change. If we will respond to him. Let's close. Let's just, let's just open up with, with, with prayer and then we'll kind of move on to, to this. Father, we just come to you right now. And Father, I just thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that, that, that you sent a comforter, as he's called. You, came, you, you sent a comforter to dwell in us. Father, it says in your word that don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells, just, just like that fire and that presence that came on that day, we still have the opportunity to allow him to come and, to inf- and, and really just fill us. And when that happens, Father, when you do that in our lives, now we have to respond Now we'll want to really respond. And Father, I pray that as we understand that, that Father, you would begin to change our hearts and our lives. You would begin to do something deep inside of us that only your Holy Spirit can do. Father, I didn't bring this up, but obviously as well, fire represents purity. It represents you coming in and, and kind of getting things in order. And that's another thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in us is to be able to to make those devotional things what need to be important to us, to devote ourselves to those things. Sometimes, God, the Holy Spirit needs to come in and kind of burn up some stuff that doesn't belong. And so, Father, right now, God, for each one that's here, each one that's online, Father, I pray that there would just be a a renewing of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their lives. Father, I pray that you would just begin to infill people in this particular moment, whether it's in this moment, this second, or they're online a week from now, whatever. God, that you would just begin to infill them. That God, that you would just begin to have your spirit uh, just just abide in them. And that Father, you would just even begin begin to remove those things that don't belong, that those things would be burned up so that father we can devote ourselves to the things that you have called us to do to devote ourselves to father you're so good you're so good as we just kind of remain here in an attitude of of prayer just want to ask a a couple things because I just feel like this is where God really wants to direct this this time but the first is, is, is that, that concept, we talked about it earlier when, when Jesus came out of that water of identity. And I just felt like this week as I was putting this together and praying it, that, that God was saying, you know, there's some people that, that really are struggling with that concept of identity. They're, they're struggling with that idea that, that they truly are my son and my daughter. And I believe that, that if that's you right now, that, that you know and you, you, you struggle with that, you're, you, you kind of base 
God's love and your identity as a son or daughter of God based on your performance, based on your circumstances. And, and God would want you to understand and know that, listen, listen, you are accepted, you are adopted, you are a son or a daughter of God. And he's not going to renege on that. He's not going to say, you know what? You're not perfect. You know, none of us are. We're still being transformed. We're still being restored. But one thing that we can know, one thing that we can hold on to is that our sins are forgiven. And that even though we mess up and even though we still sometimes don't do it right, we have been adopted into God's family. That he loves us. And the Holy Spirit desires in this moment to confirm and affirm that in your heart, if you'll let him. He wants to confirm it again. And sometimes it's so easy to forget who we are. And so if that's you this morning, God is speaking, I believe that's speaking directly to your heart to help you to understand that you are his. You are His. He loves you with an everlasting love. He looks at you and he, he doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your past. He looks through the, the blood of Jesus and He sees His child. And He loves you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that say your sonship or daughtership is based on your performance. It's based on the sacrifice of Jesus and your acceptance of that. So if that's you, just call out to him. Let him confirm it again. Let him show you again who you really are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You're so good. Just confirm that through your Holy Spirit, God. And then the other thing is how are you responding to what God has done through his Holy Spirit, through what he's done for you, through Jesus? How are you responding? Are you, what, here's the question. What are you really devoted to? What are you really committed to? You know, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've heard something like this. I've, I've, I've experienced it, you know, where people have come to me and, and talked to me. And, you know, usually it's a younger, young lady, but, you know, it can be either or. But, but basically it's a situation where it happened to me in college. Right? It's a, a, a girl that was a friend and she came to me and she was really interested in, in marrying this guy. And, and, and she came to me and she said, you know, I, I, I love him. And, but, but he, he just, and, and she made this comment. She said, you know what? I think he has commitment issues. You ever heard that? Commitment issues. And, and I just looked at her and, and I tried to do this as loving as I could. I probably failed. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I looked at her and I said, you know, and I used her name, I said, he doesn't have commitment issues. He just has commitment issues with you. We're all committed to something. 
We love to blame. Oh, I'm, we're not. We have. We have. I have commitment issues. I can't be committed to this or that. No, 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 no. We're we're all very good at commitment. We just don't always choose the right thing to be committed to. You get it. And today. I believe through his Holy Spirit, God wants us to once again realize that maybe we're not committed to the right stuff and to once again devote ourselves to his word and to each other and God's presence and to prayer. You do not have a commitment issue. You just may be committed to some of the wrong things. And those things may not be bad in among themselves, but they're not the most important thing. And so I'm gonna pr- I, I just want to pray over you that as you pray and as you ask the Father, do you have some commitment issues this morning? Meaning you're committed to some of the wrong things and instead you need to respond to the Holy Spirit in a way that says basically I want to see miracles happen. I want to see uh, people come to know the Lord daily. I want to have a life of joy and generosity and all these things. But, but to get there we got to be devoted to the right stuff. And the Holy Spirit wants to show us those things. So whether it's the first thing, with, uh, whether it's with, with identity, or it's the second with commitment, as I pray, I just ask that you would just call out to your Father and just ask Him, where in my life do I need to have the Holy Spirit rearrange some things? Where in my life do I need to have some things maybe burnt up or get my focus where it belongs so that I can see some results of what God really wants to do in me and through me. So Father, we come to you right now. And Father, whether it's commitment type of issues or devotion type of issues, or whether it's identity, Father, I pray that you would just come. You would just minister. You would just begin to work in the hearts and the lives of every individual that's here, every individual that's online. And that, Father, that we would once again begin to understand what you want to show us about who you are, about the fact that that we're your son or your daughter, and also areas that maybe, hey, maybe, maybe we need to do some rearranging a little bit. Maybe we need to once again devote ourselves to prayer, devote ourselves to each other. Whatever that may be, God, you know, and God, I pray that you would speak and that, Father, those that have ears to listen would hear and obey and make adjustments in their lives where you need them to do that. Father, I know in my own life, I need to make some adjustments. I need to once again become more devoted to certain areas. And so, Father, I need your help in my life to do those things. But Father, I know that when I come to you and I ask for help, you are faithful and you are good and you come to my rescue to help me. So Father, we love you and we thank you that you love us so much that you do these things when we come to you and ask, help us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, thank you, Father. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here. Again, for for those that are here and online, happy Mom's Day, happy Grandma's Day, happy Aunt Day, happy Women's Day, whatever you want to call it, but happy to you because we love you, we appreciate you, we're so thankful that you're in our lives. And, and we, just, we just could not imagine our lives without you. So ladies, I hope that you have a wonderful day.
And I hope that you just really feel blessed and, and respected and just loved on like you haven't in a long time because we do love you so much. And those that are online, obviously, we hope to see you soon. We hope that you're doing well. We're going to just, uh, I just hope this is uh, just a great day for everybody. Have a great week and uh, we'll see you next week.